Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch uh, from the Lansing State Journal in Columbus, Ohio, joined by Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press, who is also in Columbus, Ohio. We are in the same hotel, not in the same room, um, up bright and early here uh, after um, Michigan State had a... Uh, an incredible night of basketball, really. I thought it was a great game, well-played, intense, and uh, Michigan State beat Marquette to uh, 69-60 to advance to the Sweet 16 um, after not getting out of the first weekend the last couple of years. Chris, how you doing, man? Up and moving, you know. That time of the year where there are late nights, early mornings, and many things to do, so... Certainly, I, I'd agree with you on the game last night. A defensive performance, maybe unlike we've seen all year from this team, you know, from the back forward. I mean, it. you know, I, I don't even know where, if you want to say from the forward back or the back forward because the guards played outstanding defensively and, and made life miserable for Tyler Kolick. The bigs made everything challenging in the paint. Did a good good job pretty much all night on ball screens, and here they are going to the Sweet Sixteen. You know, a lot was made of of Marquette's guards, and Michigan State's guards were better, and they yeah. and they were better in part because they got into Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones and and gave those guys fits and made them work, and it's because they're two way guards. Um, but I thought it was a night where those, especially Tyson Walker and AJ Hogard as a backcourt tandem sort of rose to another level and and, and, and Spartan lore a little bit because th- these are the opportunities when you take advantage of them, you, you join people who've done it before and, and you, and, and they did it in, it, you know, the whole game, they didn't let Michigan state stop going. Like it was, they, there was never this huge lapse offensively. There was never a big run from Marquette, even when there, you know, there was a small run late in the first half, early second. And then at the end of the game, you get just virtuoso performances from, especially from Walker, but but a series of plays and a sequence with 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 three buckets in particular, where I thought those guys, uh, Walker hits the the at a time they absolutely need it, the lefty off the high glass on the drive, Hogard goes downhill, scores over a defender, and then you get the pull up jumper that Joey Hauser drew up in the huddle, and uh, or well or called in the, in the huddle. And those three plays in a massive moment, and you know, obviously they hit free throws. What they did defensively, I just uh, one of those things that that will be remembered for a long time. Well, you can you can pick and choose what what side of the ball you want to look at too, because the the rebound, the offensive rebound that Malik Hall had, yep, um, probably sealed that game and might have been the biggest rebound. And I'm I'm trying to think of a. a you know how long it's been since Michigan State had a rebound like that that was a game changer. I mean, you could see the energy in the building. You could see the energy with his teammates and with Tom Izzo after that play. And then the two blocks on Kolek by Madi Sissoko. Uh, one, you know, in, in watching the replay multiple, multiple times, looked like he got it right as the ball was about to hit the glass. You know, simultaneous timing. I think is how Gene Steratore called it. And I mean, that another play, one with two minutes left, one with a minute left, 
and Hall got, I think the second block went right to Hall for, for another one of his rebounds. He had three steals. I mean, that, you know, and then you cannot discount the job that Jade Nakins did defensively. I mean, his shots wasn't falling. Uh, same with Hall. I mean, both of those guys didn't have their shots falling, but they put together the things at the other end of the court. I mean, you, you said that there wasn't like lulls. I mean, there was a long period. I mean, it was an 8-0 run, you know, usually doesn't take very long, but that one I think took about four and a half minutes because they were shutting Marquette down, but baskets were hard to come by for them too because Marquette was playing at, at such a, a high level. It was it was just fascinating because you could just pick any number of spots in that game uh, and really in that last 12 minutes that were important, impactful, and and things that changed the course of the outcome of the game. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny. I was writing a, a, a column last night and figuring out where I wanted to go and wrote a lot about the guards and wrote a lot about their sort of this becoming a player-led team from early moments in the game when when – A.J. Hogart calmed Izzo, who was mad at Jade Nakins, to Hauser pulling the play to the late huddles. and But it was also, like, I remember writing a column when they beat Duke in 2019 in the regional finals. And I, you almost could have gone the same way. I wrote that column sort of through the, the lens of five different players' nights because everybody contributed, like, you know, from – Matt McQuaid to Kenny going shot to, you know, obviously Cassius Winston and Tillman. And, and last night I almost did the same thing because it was like, yeah, that hall rebound was incredible. The, you know, there were, there was some defense on the other end, you know, and it was a reminder when they get something out of Sissoko at that level, what it does for them. And, and for him to stand up and have those two plays, I thought Carson Cooper had very important minutes leading up to that and, 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 you know, has become a guy that they can lean on without hurting them. What, what's sort of interesting about this team is Izzo has shortened the rotation, and yet in doing so, they've got key depth at two spots that they've created through development over time and sort of what they've gone through. Like, second straight game, A.J. Hogarth's in foul trouble. They don't miss a beat when they slide Tyson Walker into that. And then, and that's not really like, additional depth depth and like some guy off the bench that's just your two guard and then Sissoko is either in foul who by the way was an all-conference point guard before they got him no doubt no doubt right but what was interesting is for a lot of this year they would play they, they really committed to Walker off the ball and I think that helped create him as an offensive threat in that way and then starting with the Ohio State game a little more than a month ago they started going to him in big situations over Holloman and yeah. sort of saying, this is our, this is our second best point guard. What are we doing here? And then last night, Cooper, a guy who, you know, they, they couldn't survive with on the court a few months ago and obviously freshman developed playing really important moments. And I, and I thought, you know, it's not just the alley-oop dunk where he's obviously a pretty smooth athlete and runs like a deer and all that stuff, but it was the way he sort of walled off the baseline or the, or the, or the gaps yeah. and, and and so they, they've created depth just a, just enough here and there to get through moments. I, and and those are the sort of things that you know give you a shot when you got guards like that and you got enough to hold up. Now they've just played two teams that do not have big men that really hurt you like the way a traditional big man does, and that was 
And look, all the teams that have those guys, for the most part, except for like UConn, and, are out of the NCAA tournament. So maybe maybe from now on you don't care what happens to you against Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady in the Big Ten. You're like, look, when, when we get to the NCAA tournament, we'll be fine. I'm just kidding there. I But these were matchups that worked for Michigan State. That said, I thought their defense was connected and uh, sort of honored the scouting report in ways that I mean, they, they were they were dialed in. Well, let's like that's a lot to kind of cover there. Let me let, let's start with Walker. The reason that Tyson Walker now can work at point guard is because of those minutes that he got and logged at the two guard. Because remember, Tyson Walker was hesitant with his shot at times last year when he had the ball in his hands. And, you know, when he was running the point, he wasn't he wasn't the same player. And what I think that did is by running him off ball most of the year, that created that aggressive mindset that he's carried over now when, when he does take over the point. He, he's not just looking to distribute. And, I mean, he's looking a lot – and stop me if it sounds like hyperbole, but he's starting to look a lot like Kemba Walker did in that run that, that they made for UConn and, and kind of blossoming into the kind of player that I think Tom Izzo felt he had. Um, not that he was bad last year, but this is a consistent level of aggression that he's taking the ball to the rim. He's looking for the mid-range jumper. He's not settling for three-pointers. And, and, you know, with Cooper, uh, you know, I, I told you that on Friday in the USC game. I mean, there, there was a stretch in the first five minutes of that second half where you just look at each other and said, they can't take him off the court, you know, because Sissoko has struggled so much with ball screens and Kohler, you know, remains an offense first guy. That'll come in time, I think, on the defensive end for him. But Cooper's just, I, I think it probably has something to do with his soccer background, his footwork, his understanding of angles that, you know, maybe the other guys just don't get along with the length and athleticism. So those, I mean, between those two guys, you know, you you had some important, important moments, but you know, there's so many things that, that get lost because I think Malik Hall gets lost in this a little bit because he played – I mean, he's he's playing – we don't know what level he's playing at in terms of physical. Um, he hasn't really said, but he's gutting through a lot of things with his foot, with his back that was bothering him. And, you know, you saw it. He missed all four of his threes, but here he is grinding at both ends of the court. You know, it, it's fascinating to watch this, and, you know, particularly in this game where none of the shots were falling, not just, I mean, you know, Aikens was a, missed all five from deep, Hall missed four from deep, Walker missed three from deep. But the thing that I found most compelling about that is this group about that 12-minute mark when he realized our, our top shooters are combined over 14, started going to the basket and stopped shooting outside. That's a sign of maturity that wasn't there. Uh, I think I saw CBS had a stat that, you know, coming into this weekend, I think they only had they didn't, hadn't won a game without more than five three pointers, and they did it twice in this weekend, and that's testament to what this team did inside the arc. The last four games of the regular season, they were forty nine of of eighty from beyond the arc, forty nine eighty five. I can't remember the stat I wrote, but and. Hugely, that was what had elevated them and, and, and changed them a little bit and what they could be and how they could overwhelm you. And to go seven for 30 in two games from beyond the arc 
and two for 16 yesterday. I think what makes this different, like, you know, you, you and I have both been around the, the, the seven, a seven seed Michigan state team that made a run to a final four um, in 2015. This is very different. That team got hot and played above its level until it ran into a Duke team. Uh, th- this is a better Michigan state team than that team. Like, this team would not get overwhelmed by that that particular Duke team in the Final Four. It might not win, but I'm just saying it would be a different game. They're they're winning because they have sort of played like the team I thought they had a chance to become all year, but couldn't find consistently. And it, it sort of all come together at once. And, I, and so I, I I I do think it's it's perhaps more sustainable. They need you know Hogard said something or not Hogard uh, Hauser said something about Hogard Yen. Because I, for a couple of things, one, I think it was the best five turnover game he's ever played. They can go as far as he'll take them, as he wants to take them. And I think they still all know. And right now, he's just so dialed in. He, and if he stays that way, and there's a reason to think in the NCAA tournament that he might, and, and they have this, you know, I think there's probably a freedom a little bit for him and for Izzo with the way Walker's able to play when he gets in foul trouble that he doesn't have to worry about it as much. And then even with four fouls, I thought Hogard played really smartly. I, I just think what they're doing right now, not that it wasn't sustainable to a point in 2015 because they kept it up, but this is just this is just a, a higher caliber of overall basketball that doesn't require Travis Trice going bananas, so to speak. Yeah, but they got a, a, a Tyson Walker who can. I mean, we've seen him go off for 31. We've seen him go off for 30. So, And he had 15 points in the last 12 minutes of that game. I mean, so – it's there. They've got that kind of guy. It's not like that. I don't know if Izzo's had a a pair of guards like this together that can handle the ball and run the offense at an elite level. Because, I mean, you think about it, he's always had the guy running a point. He essentially has two point guards. And that we've talked, we talked about that all year, even though they move Walker off the ball. You know he's able to do different things. Uh, he can run the team. He can he can be on the wing, and he's he's a good defensive player. And and you know credit Hogard because I thought he played outstanding defensively all weekend. And and when they talk about he can go as this team can go as far as he leads them, it's got to start at that end for him, and it's got to be what he was. I think maybe he took he took that step back three. Uh, that he hit early in the game, uh, you know, the game against USC, he took one jump shot and eight shots in the paint. That's the best version of AJ Hogard. And that's the version when he's getting down in there that creates things for others. And he'll, he'll get either kick out assist or like Izzo calls him the hockey assist where the ball movement goes and you just see it operating at a different level. And then when Walker's taken over the point, he he's not afraid to dish the ball for a guy that's such a prolific scorer at times. I think it's a little bit more than just Hogar because those guys are playing with an oh. intensity and focus that you know the two guys. I'm saying with the guys with the ball in their hands like that. Well, that's well, Hogar, well, Walker has been that guy all season, and that's that's the different. I mean, Hogar has but a more off the ball is what I mean. You know, yeah, yeah, when you're, yeah, you're going to put him in in charge of the offense. But um, and there's not a drop off. I mean, that's 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 hard. It's hard for another team to have that kind of depth in, in running your offense. Totally. No, and he, they have a true luxury there. But he did it in Columbus before. He did it in their 62-41 win against Ohio State. Like he had sort of become comfortable in that role. And I think 
you're right, bringing up the idea that when to shoot, when not. Even in this game, um, Walker had a, a shot he passed up early, and, and Izzo kind of got on him. You know, so what are you doing? He, and he he understood that's not, um, you know, that's not something that that you know he he can do. He he's got to you know the, you you bring up the three by Hogard and. and Hogarth's performance offensively in certain ways was very Cleves-like. Cleves would not take a ton of threes as the team got better and stuff, but but he was when they needed him to hit one 25, 26, 25 years ago, 24 years ago, all those years, that he would. And and Hogarth has a flair for that. It was open. They needed the shot. He hit the bucket. That was a really important early bucket. Um, I think the, the, they only hit one. You know, they, they were really struggling from outside and, Jay Nakins had a couple really good looks that, that didn't fall, and he, it looked like, wow, they, this is just isn't going to happen for them from beyond the arc. But they get one more. It wasn't. It was fairly important from Joey Hauser from Hogard and and um, inside out, and yeah, inside out, it, penetrating the paint and kicking into the corner. That that was that was really important stuff. So now they're, they're headed to New York, uh, Madison Square Garden, where they played this year. Um, and they lost to, to to Rutgers, a very different Rutgers program, a little more than a month ago. Um, that is a Thursday night, six thirty tip off. They win that. They would, and that's against Kansas State. They win that. They get the uh, the winner of Florida Atlantic and Tennessee on Saturday at Madison Square Garden. I think at this point, every, you know, and look, Kansas State is a terrific team, and and um, I loved what their coach said about just having more dudes than Kentucky. They can be ferocious, and they've found another gear here in the NCAA tournament. But I do think every game Michigan State plays from here on out, at least in their region, is at worst going to be a 50-50 proposition. If they play well, they got a shot, and a real shot, and not just like – because Marquette had won 10 straight. They had really run through the Big East. Their guards were supposed – I mean, Michigan State is playing right now at at a level that that I I think is is up there with anybody. Now – that, you know, you, you face a big man on the other side of the brackets like like UConn and, and size like that. That'll be a whole different problem if they get to that point. But certainly with, with the type of team they're facing in Kansas State, I think this is another game where if, if they get what they're getting right now, they got a real shot. Yeah, two battle-tested teams that, you know, I mean, Kansas State, like the last two opponents, can score the ball. And, you know, that's going to be, I think, uh, a, a big challenge. I mean, you, you look at the, the teams that Kansas State lost to this year. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they were all ranked maybe other than Butler. You know, I mean, they had a, a couple game stretch where they were, you know, TCU and Kansas. I mean, the Big 12, I, you know, we could talk, we could spend a whole other podcast talking about how Michigan State's the last team left in the Big 10 and how the rest of the Big 10 completely let down. Uh, in this tournament, not just Purdue, but across the board. But the Big 12 is, I thought Big 12 maybe was had the hardest road in, with a lot of good teams that were elite athletes. And, and maybe not the depth the Big 10 had, but I thought that, I think this Kansas State team comes in challenged. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they'll flinch with what Michigan State brings oh. at that. Oh, not not at all. Not at all. I love, I love their coach. I love, I love their wings. I, I don't know. It's going to be, Battle, but you bring up the Big Ten, and let, let's let's touch on that real quick because while it was not an overwhelming performance, I'll say other than Purdue, the Big Ten did about what it was seeded to do. Like people can't like, and, and there's no doubt the Big Ten is a, is a deeper league than it is a great league. 
only Indiana was the only other team other than Purdue. And look, Purdue fell flat. They lost in a 116 battle. And they had freshman guards and the other fairly Dickinson's guards were not intimidated by them and realized they were quicker and able to do things to them. That And, and, and that became a problem for Purdue. And then they, it was in their heads. But Indiana, which lost a 4-5 game to Miami, was the only other team with a seed that was even sort of seeded to get to the second weekend. And they lost a 4-5. So I do think, like, yes, nobody in the Big Ten rose up and said that as a league we deserve more than we got, so to speak, because we outperformed our seeds. But they also, I mean, they have five teams, right? Was it five in the second round, six in the second round? Um, so, it was, you know, and a lot of those were toss-up matchups. It's really the Purdue result that, that stands out. And, and that, there's there are points to be made with that. That's a team that earned a one seed and did something historic. But I, I don't think the Big Ten's overall showing is is awful. I just think it wasn't what maybe we you – know, I've become sort of a protector of the Big Ten. You, you you hoped it would do, that somebody would come out – you know, Iowa would have a, would do something. Somebody would do something uh, that, that came out of nowhere. Yeah, if you could say that Penn State and Northwestern both exceeded expectations and right there with two seeds. So I think that's, that's a, I think, a plus. So it does show that, you know, the the middle wasn't – I mean, the middle to – upper end wasn't bad you know they just they met it they ran into a, a couple teams that were just a little better on a given night but you know to me the the argument that's that's made with this when eight teams get in from the conference is well they're much better than this because they just keep beating up on each other well once you get in and you you now have one of eight left but- um the, the thing is, did they not I, get, I get what you're saying about the seeding, but you know this is this is a year where the 16 beat the one, and it's right. I but, mean, and so it what was do you do a, differently. What do you do differently? Who do you leave out? Uh, did those eight teams not deserve to get in? They all deserve to be in. Uh, I mean, there are lots of things we could do with seeding overall, and I think there are things that the committee needs to look at. There are things the committee doesn't understand. And I'm I'm a big proponent that anybody who wins a league of a certain repute like top 12 rpi net whatever you want to do so even some of the top mid-major leagues that they should be no worse than a seven seed because i think they would play to their seed level quite fine and they would avoid the eight nine games and there should be some parameters put in there because i don't think the committee knows how to judge really good high mid-major teams because like look at fau for example and and memphis and and maybe we want to see like the, the purdue lost so they didn't have to face them but those are teams that the season FAU had, they should have been a seven or better. Like that's, you know, they were a little underseeded. And, and well, I, I think Penn State's win over Texas A&M was the outside of the Michigan State. That was the best moment for the conference yeah. all weekend. Yeah. I mean, because that was that was a tough opponent that they put on blast. Yeah, and you know, I thought Indiana, which which didn't play desperate, and I was disappointed with them against Miami. I thought. Everybody picked a lot of people picked Kent State as like a really popular upset pick, and they handled business quite nicely. So I thought their first round game was was impressive, and obviously Michigan State played well. I, yeah, yeah. The league, I mean, the, the thing about it though is it's not just the league. Like what Purdue does has very little to do with what Penn State does, and and Mississippi State shouldn't get credit for what you know Alabama does. You know, like I understand their leagues, but it. A lot of times there's too much, well, it's plotting, it's all the same. You know, it's not like you go into a, a AU visit and there's a there's a 
group of coaches from the Big Ten, and if you're a plotting white guy, you're like, well, that's where I go after my game and talk to those coaches. And if you're athletic, you're like, oh, there are the SEC coaches in that corner. That's right. That's just not how it is. And and I do understand styles get created in leagues, and the, and the Big Ten has gotten to some some big men, and that, that is not translated to success in the NCAA tournament. But, I, I mean, I think this year what, what, what happened to Purdue had much more to do with their guards. It's been a wild tournament, and I think, you know, it's not often I, I sit and listen and hear Charles, Charles Barkley say something, but there's been a lot of compression between teams getting older with the, the transfer portal helping immediately, grad transfers, but also the COVID year. I mean, that's why you're seeing, I think, Old you know, teams. you see it. Yeah, I mean, you see an eight in Arkansas, you see a nine in FAU, a seven in MSU, a fifteen in Princeton, a six in Creighton. I mean, you know, the teams that are get it's not it's not chalk on the bracket, and I think that has a lot to do with it. But it makes for a very compelling Sweet Sixteen coming up this week, which really just it, it it's for us. It starts Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, well, is at the quick turn with the the Sunday to Thursday games. Well, let's wrap it there. We'll, we'll do another one of these before Michigan State plays from New York. But uh, you and I both need to need to hit the road and, and, and find our way back to back to East Lansing. I, I frankly just don't own enough shirts and pants not to go home and do some laundry. It's uh, I don't like. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I unfortunately have an overpacking situation where That's now funny. I got to figure out a way to get all my laundry in my suitcase so I can get it back home. I'm glad, I'm glad there's not a reality show watching us try and get out of this hotel this morning. But anyway, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we'll have complete coverage, obviously, at freep.com, lsj.com, greedandwhite.com. We've got lots of stuff up right now. We'll, there'll be more as, as, as we head to New York in, in, in the coming days. Um, and we'll, we'll speak to you later in the week for another Spartan Speak podcast. We appreciate you listening. Rate, subscribe, throw fruit if you don't like it, whatever it is. Mock us. We're, we're, we're fine with all of it, and thanks for listening.